are in part 36 of our Empowered Church series, walking through the book of Acts line by line. And uh, today's message was called The Power of Restoration. And I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with a couple thoughts. It's going to begin with a stat and then with a line I would like you to memorize, right? So here's the stat. Did you know that the Bible records nine individuals being resurrected from the dead? Now, it has a 10th story that is actually after Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake, graves were opened up, and it says, and many came out of the tombs and walked back into the city. Now, we don't know who they are, how many they are, so for a moment, we're going to set them aside. There are nine individuals named, nine individuals referenced, that were raised from the dead. They were completely gone, and God brought them back. Here is the line I would like you to memorize. If God raises people from the dead, then what are you currently facing that he cannot handle? If God raises people from the dead, then what are you currently facing that he cannot handle? One of the difficulties of humanity is that we are very atmospheric. What we're around, we absorb. If we're around complainers, we complain. If we're around negativity, we'll absorb it. If we're around positivity, we'll absorb it. If we're around faith-filled people, we'll absorb it. And the challenge with that is that life keeps throwing problems at us. There's stuff we cannot control. It just keeps hitting us. Oh, the 2008 recession, that just happened. And some of us, we lost our homes. Different things come in. Oh, we got to move and we got to do this. Oh, wait, there was a job change. Oh, there was a diagnosis, right? Stuff like that. It just keeps hitting us. We cannot stop that. So in a sense, we are surrounded by problems. Atmospherically, we're going to start absorbing that, which we must not do. Because here's the truth. The truth is we cannot control what's outside, but we can control our inner life. And there we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Because if we keep our eyes on Jesus, that's the difference between walking on water and drowning in our problems. You know what I'm talking about? And what this means is we must do what the Bible says, which is to exalt the Lord in our minds, magnify the Lord in our minds, get him back up to the God that he is. Listen, whether you think he is great and mighty or not does not change his nature. He is mighty, has always been mighty, will always be mighty. However, you and I, we need to get our head in the game and see him as he is. Because if we do not, then our problems will continue to grow in magnitude and we will shrink God in our sight. Therefore, we must magnify God so that our problems pale in comparison to the solution of our Lord. Amen? So what we need to be doing is keeping our head in the game. So let me be the reminder voice that tells you that God is still on the throne. God is excessively larger than anything you will ever face in this life. He can handle it. He's got a plan. You will never walk into a problem he does not know the solution to. The, the only reason you know you have a problem is he told you. Anytime you walk into a challenge, you're late to the game. He already knew it. He already planned for it. 
He's ready to go. Nothing's going to catch him off guard. Because we spend so much of our prayer time trying to bring him up to speed. God, there's a problem. Is there now? What is that? We inform him of a lot, which is very, very interesting. But remember, by the time you find out you have a problem, God's already done with it. Hmm. All miracles and Bible stories are really written for one reason. To remind you that if God did it in the past, he can do it again. If you're struggling with something that is outside your resources, if you're currently facing something that you know you cannot handle, there's a verse I need you to write down, and it is Luke 18, 27. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Listen, whether your faith is up or your faith is down, he is able. Understand this, he does not need to prove himself to us. So many of us put ourselves in his seat and we say, God, show me that you're real. Show me you can do what you say you can do. Hold on. He has already demonstrated plenty. When the father sent his one and only son into the world because of his love, he solved the answer or the question, do you care, once and for all. When Jesus died for our sins so that we might be cleansed, he once and for all answered the question, do you love me? Those are not questions we need to ask anymore. And we should never have to ask, God, are you able? He is always able. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Nothing is beyond God's power to restore. Nothing is beyond God's power to restore. Anybody need hope today? A little encouragement today? Yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. At the end of this service, we're going to be praying for a miracle in your lives. We're going to be praying for things to be lifted off your chest. We're going to be praying for family members, praying for things that are overwhelming that God may move in a mighty way. And I can guarantee you by the time we are done with this message, you're going to walk out of here more faith-filled, more confident, and more peaceful than you walked in. Amen? You ready to do it? Let's do it. All right, turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 1. Acts chapter 20, verse 1. Once again, the Bible under the seat in front of you, it's page 929. If you need a Bible, we got those available, page 929. Now, I want to give you a recap on where we're at. If you're brand new to our series, here's what we've been studying. We've been watching the rise of Christianity, and we've been focusing on one of our champions, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul, one of our greatest theologians, greatest church planners, greatest missionaries. This guy's been traveling around thousands and thousands of miles. We've been studying his third of three recorded missionary journeys. He just finished doing a three-year ministry in a city named Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And last time we were together, we were talking about the fact that his ministry was so effective, it began to undermine and dismantle the whole business opportunity of pagan worship. Like he was so incredibly effective by telling people that there is a real God that cares, that they can have meaning in the Lord, that there is purpose in their creation, that they began to say, then why am I spending so much time and so much money on stuff that doesn't matter? 
Well, the people that make the stuff that doesn't matter, the people that make the stuff that really benefits off the dysfunction of their neighbors, the people that make money off the sadness of someone being in bondage to something yucky, they began to lose money, and boy, that made them really mad. So they launched a mob. They launched a riot. For two hours, they were in a theater screaming and yelling. They tried to find Paul to tear him apart. They couldn't find him, grabbed two of his buddies, Aristarchus and Gaius. They get drug in there. Thankfully, they were fine. But after two hours, the town clerk comes up, and he's like, guys, shut it down. If Rome finds out that we are screaming and yelling and hollering like a bunch of idiots, they're going to come in and it's not going to look good for us. So I'm telling you right now, go home. And they all were sent home. That's where we're going to pick up our story today. However, I brought something with me today that I don't normally do, and I have to tell you the story of why. So a couple weeks ago, a gentleman stopped me in the lobby and he said, he said, Pastor Lance, I really appreciate uh, your sermons and that, that you always give us some background and stuff like that, which by the way, if you ever give me a compliment, I usually add a couple pieces uh, that you maybe didn't even say, but, but when I retell your story, it usually is like, oh, you're so powerful and such a great guy, you know, stuff like that. You never actually said that, but I just added it. So I don't really know what he said, but anyway. <clears throat> So he said, he said, Pastor, I don't understand why when you're teaching us through the Bible and we're going through all these travels of Paul, why don't you simply use a map? And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> why would you say such a thing? I said, sir, here is the real reason. I am unprepared. <laughs> that, I mean, if we're going to be honest about this, let's just be un- honest, right? And so I said, I'm unprepared. So today I prepared a map just to show him that I can find a map. Now I brought two because I'm an overachiever. So I have a laser pointer, also known as the cat toy. (laughs) Praise God, so this is going to be effective. Uh, So what we're gonna do is, as I'm reading through this, we're gonna go and have a map up on the screen that only Hawkeye can see. It's the reason I don't use maps is most people just see pretty colors from a distance. You can't read any of the names. And if you go, wow, is there something wrong with my eyes? The answer is yes. All right, so how about we throw up a map here? One of the reasons why maps are so important is that you're American. (laughs) Here we go. Everyone that's not from America is like, that's funny. Okay, so here's what we got. I'm gonna give you an idea on where we're at, right? Okay, here we go. All this down here, this is Africa, all right? So we got Egypt and all that down here. This is the Middle East. This is Israel. This right here is what we know as modern-day Turkey. This is modern-day Greece. Most all the travel we're going to be studying, if I can calm my hand down, <laughs> everything, I'm fine, I swear. Everything is in this area. All of Paul's travels are in this area. All right, let's go over to this side. All right, so all of you on this side, where you want a vacation is largely here if that makes any sense. All right, praise God. Okay, now let's, 
We're gonna go ahead and zoom in a little bit on that Mediterranean area. This is what we got. So what you'll notice on here is that Paul takes off from Antioch and he goes do, 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 and goes around. You're gonna see him backtrack and double in. And then when he has to go back home, he's gonna go all the way down through the water back to Jerusalem. So I'm gonna leave that map up as we just go through this first portion so you can follow his travels. Here we go. Chapter 20, verse one. After the uproar seized in Ephesus, that was last week, Paul sent for the local church members, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia, which is simply northern Greece. When he had gone through those regions, which actually took him a year and a half, you wouldn't know that unless you put the pieces together from the other letters. When he had gone through these regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to southern Greece. There he spent three months, likely in the city of Corinth, where he wrote the book of Romans, in case you're wondering. And when a plot was made against him by that radical group of Jews that had been hunting him the last few years, he was about, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through northern Greece again. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, his protege, and the Asians in, in Asia Minor were Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead of him and for, were waiting for us at the beach town of Troas, a key seaport between Asia and Europe. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. All right, you can pull the map down. Now, if we're just reading on our own, we're going to tend to see that and go, oh, it's just travels, I'm moving on. But there's a couple things I want you to notice that are highlighted in that passage before we get to our miracle story. The first one is that Paul was backtracking through a lot of the same territory. Why is that? Paul has the heart of a pastor. The heart of a pastor is that we desperately want to encourage you. Now, there are times that we must challenge you, and this is a very high challenge environment of a church. I'm always pushing for transformation, always pushing for change. What are things that we can align in our lives with the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we look more like him every day? I'm always going to push on that. But really, my heart is to try to encourage you in any way that I can. And one of the common words about Paul's ministry is encouragement. So he would travel through all the areas he planted ministries after it was about a year, two, three. He'd come back through. He was not the pastor that was left there. There were other people to care for the congregation. But as a traveling evangelist and the founding pastor, he would come in and he would talk to them about the power of God. He wanted everyone to be enabled and equipped to go out and do ministry on their own. That is truly the heart of a pastor. One of the other things that we notice on this journey is as he went through, what was he doing? He was collecting an offering for the struggling church of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the, most of the original apostles were still doing ministry. It was a very poor church. A lot of slaves got saved. A lot of the poor got saved. They flooded into Christianity. 
The problem with that is, is nobody was able to really tithe, nobody was really able to give, and they were struggling under their persecution. So he was like, wait a second, if I'm going through all these new churches, these Gentile churches that are bursting at the seams, man, they wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the original core. We must never forget where we came from. So what he says is, guys, I'm going to go through all these different churches and I'm going to get some financial collection from you because I want you to always remember the home church of Jerusalem. Well, as he picked up these, a couple churches gave significant gifts, and they said, you know what? We don't just want to write a check. We want some of our representatives to go with you so that it is a personal, face-to-face, we care about you. That's why he collected five other guys on the journey back home, right? Now, this is critical because it is human nature to just want to hang out with people just like us and separate or divide from anyone that's not like us. Paul knew that, but he knew that it was Jesus's last long recorded prayer that the church might be unified. There's only one church. There is only one body of Christ. I don't care what denomination you called yourself, where you come from. I don't care whether or not you separate out for all our differences. There is only one family of God. So what he did is he said, I don't want a separate Christian church that's Jewish and a separate church that's Gentile and a separate church that's Samaritan. I want one church. And unless you guys are helping each other and bonding together, you're going to keep forgetting there are other churches in this world that are part of your family. So he took up this collection, grabbed the people, and had everyone come together so they would never forget the truth of unity. It's a very, very powerful move. Very wise, very, very smart. A lot of the New Testament letters that we read were written during this missionary journey. First and second Corinthians. You're gonna find out that a lot of the reason why he did some of the travel he did is he was trying to reconnect with Titus. Paul had two protégés, Timothy and Titus. Titus was supposed to handle Corinth. Timothy handled Ephesus. These are troubled churches. Man, when you read the book of Corinthians, you find out how much of a mess it was. Titus had gone to figure out if they're okay. Paul had written some pretty tough stuff. They were really having difficulties. He was waiting. Hey, Titus, how did it go? How did it go? How did it go? And he kept moving till he could find him and reconnect. And that's another reason why he did the journeys he did. That's all the background stuff that you might need to know. So let's pick it up in the miracle story. Here we go. Verse 7, Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, now this is fascinating, because of technology, we know what day this was. It was Sunday, April 24th, AD 57. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together for church to break bread, Paul talked with the church, intending to leave on the next day. And he prolonged his preaching until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. 
And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Let's pause right there. Now, the reason why we pause here is because for too many of us, when we read the Bible, we blast through it, and we want to relieve the tension, and we get to the good part. The problem is, in real life, you're doing it day and moment by moment. And if you keep reading the Bible quickly, what you think is God resolves tensions all the time really fast. And you think something's wrong with your life. Doesn't God care about you? Because you read in the Bible, wow, and then a miracle happened. You may not realize that miracle took a year, two years, If we're not doing our study and slowing down and realizing real life is way more messy, real life is way slower, real life has these moments when you just watch a young man die. And in your mind, that's how it is and how it always will be. It's in that moment we freeze it and we go, is that how you feel today? Are you facing something that feels so overwhelming and you said, oh no, that's my new normal and the weight is too heavy on your heart? I want to remind you, God operates in real life. God operates in real mess. God operates in process. God operates in times that we're afraid and times that we don't know what's going to happen. That's real life. Always remember real life. Now, we're being read a story written by a very specific individual. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, what does he do for a living? He's a doctor. When you have a doctor talking through things, he's gonna highlight stuff that's slightly different than other people. So as he's talking about this, first of all, he's completely messing with his buddy Paul. He will mention three times how long Paul talks. Right? And in a moment, we're going to talk about how, that, how, how buddies need to handle information like that. Now, what's intriguing is he mentions a couple details other people would pass over. First thing he mentions is he said, there were a bunch of lamps in there. Well, that seems kind of like a weird thing to say. Like, who cares? What, it was extra lit? Like, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And really, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Those lamps are not electrical, right? So they're what? They're oil lamps. What happens if you have a crowded room with tons of people, not a lot of ventilation, and a ton of burning oil? It is going to mess with everybody's lungs. It's going to mess with their head. It's not good. It is not healthy. Luke is like, dude, this is a messed up situation because we all thought we were just going to be in here for a little bit, but dang it, Paul keeps preaching. We can't seem to get out of here, dude. We need to get some fresh air. So now we go back to Eutychus. He said, there's a young man there. And you go, well, how young is young, right? Because we all want to know, am I still in the young category? (laughs) That's what we really want to know. So I'm going to help you biblically in some ways. And in some ways, I'm just going to shatter your dreams. Because in the ancient Jewish mindset, you really only had three phases of life. You had child. That was basically anyone that was early teen and below. Or you have young man, young woman, or you have old man, old woman, okay? 
So it's just young or old. There's nothing in between. No such thing as midlife. That's not a thing. Okay? So young or old. So this is the big question most of us in this room want to know. How old is old? Right? 40 years old. That's their cutoff. Once you cross 40, you're old. You're like, dang, this is so depressing. What the heck? Right? Because I, like, I crossed 40 11 years ago. Right? I get that. Right? Okay, cool. And you're like, well, you're old. No, I think it's a mindset. That's the lie I'm telling myself. I feel good about that. All right? So what it means is, is this kid could be anywhere from mid-teen to 40, and so we don't have any idea of how young he really was. But it's interesting, he's sitting on the windowsill. In one sense, the most brilliant move, and in another sense, the stupidest move he could have made. Okay? Why was it brilliant? If you are around a crowded room of Christians with B.O., where do you want to sit? Because they're going to keep hanging out, right? Where do you want to sit? By the window. Why? Because there is fresh air. So that's the ventilation. That's probably the place that you would want to hang out. Problem is, if you're exhausted, that's a terrible seat, right? Now, what's interesting is Luke says he fell into a deep sleep. This was not simply, I'm tired from the day. I think this kid passed out. Now, He's going to say a bunch of general terms because as a doctor, he's like, I didn't examine him. I have no idea what happened. I was watching all the melee and I watched Paul jump in. And when Paul jumped in, I didn't need to jump in. I didn't examine this stuff, but this is what I saw. This kid looked like he passed out and he fell 30 feet to the ground, the hard ground. He didn't break his fall. This guy's gone. That's how it works. Now, a couple other things that I find really interesting about this is that when he hits the ground, at that moment, everybody's breath, right out of the room. Did we just witness the worst possible outcome? Is this what we're going to remember from this night forever? So, I told you the, uh, the story in the past, but some of you are new, so I'm just going to recap this story. And it's a personal story in my life. And the problem with having your mom attend the 9 a.m. service is she corrected my story. <laughs> so if you have any friends that were at any other story, any other service, I screwed it up and I lied. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to give you the real story, all right? Because my mom corrected me. Here we go. So well, I'm about three or four years old. We're down at my Aunt Barb's house. Aunt Barb lived in a Southern California city by the name of Glendora, if anybody knows where Glendora is. So we're down there, and she had a pool. Well, none of us had pools. Like, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so Aunt Barb, they were the more wealthy ones. So all the kids were out playing in the pool, and the parents were kind of hanging out under the covered area outside, kind of drinking iced tea, hanging out together and talking. And that... I did not know how to swim yet, and so I lived during the era where the only pool toys were styrofoam rings. Anybody remember styrofoam rings? Yeah, I don't even understand your world where you have like pool noodles and floaties. What is wrong with you people? All you need is one good old ring, right? So I'm hanging out there as a three to four year old, and I got my little ring, and all the kids are in there. You would assume the big kids are watching out over the little kids, the parents are all chatting. Well. I get up on the diving board and I decided like all the other kids, I would jump off. Problem is, is I was super skinny. 
And so when I hit the water, bloop, boom, right through the ring. Everyone was still talking and everyone was still playing. We don't know for how long because my dad ended up saying, where's Lance? Well, they all stood up to look and nobody could find me. I was at the bottom of the pool. You say, how long? I say, look at my personality, it was a while. <laughs> right now, dots are connecting in everyone's head. And you're like, that's why, okay, right? My dad saw me in the pool, he jumps in in his clothes, drags me out. My mom was a nurse and she said, I remember when he held you upside down and he shook you, the amount of water that drained out of your body, which I had brought all of it into my lungs, so I don't know how long I was there. And then I came to one of my very few memories of my, I don't have a lot of memories before seven, and one of them was my dad drying his money from his wallet laying it out in, to try to dry out because he jumped in. But you see, in that moment, they thought they had lost their youngest. They thought that was it. And for all practical purposes, I should have been gone. I don't know how long I was there or how long I could have stayed there if somebody supernaturally did not tell my dad I was in the pool. You see, that's what this story is like. But as with my story, God turned it all around. Let's pick up the story in verse 10. But Paul, he ran down stairs and he bent over him or knelt down on his knees and taking the young man in his arms, meaning scooping up his torso up onto his lap, he then said to the crowd surrounding, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. We don't know what that means. We don't know if that was saying he was dead, now he's alive, or he's still alive, or he's being healed. We don't know. It's very mysterious. Luke didn't know either. But it says that the child was okay, verse 11, and when Paul went back upstairs, he broke bread, he ate, he conversed with them for another long while until morning. And so then he left, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Okay, so here's how buddies need to handle this story, just exactly as Luke did. Listen, if I was Paul's friend, I would never, ever let him live this down. I would constantly go, hey, dude, do you remember the time you talked so long a guy died? And he's like, Lance, you mention this every time we're at a party. I'm like, I know, and I will continue to do that. Hey, do you remember that time that you talked so long a kid died? Yeah, I do remember that. It was traumatic, right? So can we please stop talking about that? I'm like, for now. You see, that Luke mentions it three times, just goes on and on and on, because he was about to go. You have to understand, his heart was so deep to talk about the things of God. His heart was so rich for wanting his people equipped. His heart was so, guys, I'm not even going to be able to be back here. I can't call you on the phone. I feel like I just want to be with you forever. The other thing that I noticed about this story is how Paul reacted so personally to this kid. He doesn't know this kid. But notice he dives into the ground and scoops him up in an embrace. There are some cultures, usually high honor cultures, that are pretty standoffish. They have a lot of what you would consider personal space. And then the, there are what I call kissy-kissy cultures. You know what I mean? It's always all the time, right? 
and you're like, this is a little bit more like up in your face. You don't have any personal space. This is one of those cultures, right? Because Paul dives in, grabs this kid, and pulls him close. Why? Because sometimes healing is not going to come until you get in the mess. And, and he gets all in it. I don't know if this kid's bleeding. I don't know what it's doing to his outfit. I don't, he doesn't even care. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He is the pastor. He's the one. Why would Paul be here in the first place? Why wouldn't the parents be closest? Because they know God uses Paul to heal. So they get out of his way. He scoops in. That is the heart of a pastor wanting to get in the mess with his people and just going, man, I don't care right now. I mean, let's go back for a moment. Does anybody remember the resurrection story of Elisha? When Elisha healed that child that died, he resurrected the child. You guys remember how he did it? Dude, that was weird. Because if you don't remember, here's how it went. He was notified a child was dead. The child's laying on the bed upstairs. He goes in, shuts the door, and he starts to pray. God, you gotta anoint me to heal. You gotta anoint me to raise this child from the dead. Then he stretches out on the child face down, arm to arm, face to face. We didn't do that at worship, prayer, and healing night, <laughs> right? Hey, if you would just lay down here, that'd be great. It'll be fine. And then they're like, why are the authorities here, right? <laughs> he is face to face on this kid. Nothing happens. He gets back up. He paces around. He's praying. He's praying. He's praying. Gets, boom, lays down on the kid. Nothing. Gets back up. Prays and prays and prays. Boom, lays back down on the kid. Boom, life comes back in him. I just get this sense that he was like, Lord, I'll be here all day. How long you want me to do this? Because I'm not leaving until this kid's awake. That's messy. That's weird. And Elisha doesn't care because a child must live. And you see, when you have a passionate Christian, if you know you have the power of God, it's really hard to walk away. One of the craziest things about doing ministry is when do you go home? Right? When do you call it? There's more needs than you're ever going to get done. More people want to talk. More people need blessing. So when do you go home? When do you say enough is enough? It's tough, yeah? Because a heart of a believer that loves people has a hard time pulling away. You just got in there, in the midst of it. The other thing that I think is interesting about this story is in a sense, you know Eutychus's friends never let him live it down either. Dude, what are you sleeping in the windowsill for? You're an idiot, right? You totally, you know the mom, Honey, you can never sit in the window. Mom, I know. I just died. I get it. I learned my lesson. All right? You don't need to keep reminding me. Yeah, but you should have never sat there. And I know. Right? Because it was a poor choice. And the reason why I highlight this is God even resurrected a kid who died for stupid reasons. Why is that important? Because I think sometimes the church forgets that God only works with stupid people. And we look out at the world, and once we find out what lifestyle they're living, we say, those are your own choices, and we pull back and stop praying. God has never treated us like that. Why would we do that to other people? Well, they're only in there because of their decisions. Why do you think you're where you're at? You think it wasn't your decisions? 
God has always had grace, always had mercy. Should we not have that same grace and mercy and act in the same way? Yes, I get it. Many of us, the problems and pains of our lives right now, the very content of our prayer requests are because we made poor choices. God did not write us off and say, well, that's just what you get. He said, kiddo, I'm still with you. I'm not going anywhere. Let's talk about it. Yeah? Mm. One of the last things I want to highlight about this comes from that stat I shared at the beginning. Nine individuals resurrected from the dead. On the way to being gone, then gone, then brought back. Do you realize that five out of the nine, 56% of those resurrected, were stories of parents and children? What do I mean? I'm talking about the widow of Zarephath's son. I'm talking about the Shunammite's son. I'm talking about Eutychus here in this story. I'm talking about Jairus's daughter, right? Are we not all tracking on this? Do you remember the widow of Nain? Her son had died, was up on a funeral procession when Jesus stopped the funeral procession and brought her child alive. Now, the reason why I highlight this is there are many of us right now that one of the greatest weights upon your heart is for your children or your grandchildren because they're prodigals and they're out there making very terrible decisions and you're nervous about them every day. Society may have said they're gone, let them go. But you know you can't do that. Their addiction's too deep. They're on the streets. They're making terrible choices. They're in the gang life. But you as a parent know that if you know God and you love your child, there's no way you're letting them go. Here's what I'm here to tell you. 56% of those raised back from the dead were given back to their parents when everyone thought they were gone. I'm here to tell you, do not stop praying for your family. Don't stop praying for the prodigals. God knows how to bring them home. I get it. You look at how many different burn bridges they have. You looked at how many years they've spent out there. You look and you say, I can't even barely recognize my child. Anybody remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar going insane and being out and eating grass like an animal? His hair's matted and long. And it said, when they acknowledged God, he was healed and back in his right mind. What I'm telling you is, no child is too far from God. And I just wanna encourage you, keep praying. Keep praying, because God can get them home, yeah? Pick it up in verse 13. As we do this, we're gonna close out on some some, kind of study pieces of travel. So let's go ahead and throw that map up there real quick as we read the end. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself. He walked 16 miles by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and we went to Mytilene, the capital of Lesbos Island. 
And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite the Greek island of Chios. The next day, we touched at the island of Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus, a major seaport of modern-day Turkey. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be back at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, the only thing that we need to know from that is it makes sense that Paul stayed as long as he could to make sure the Troas church was cool, Eutychus was cool, his family was cool, because even though you got your child back, that was pretty traumatic. He waited as long as he could, and then he was like, guys, we got to get on it. We got to get home. We got to get back to Jerusalem because we got to get back there for Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the three high holy days for the Jewish people, which means that Jewish men are required, at least in the ancient world, if they could, to travel back to Jerusalem for that festival. Paul's a really good Jewish man. He was like, hey, I got to get back. We got to get this money to him. We got to get you there. Then we can get you guys back home. We need to hit the ground running. If you watch the travels and time it out, you find out some of that travel took twice as long as it did when he went there. Why? Headwinds. When you're sailing, it makes a big difference. So we knew it's going to take us a while to get back. We got to go, 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 boom. They get home. All right, what does this have to do with us? It has to do with the fact that we just witnessed the impossible becoming possible. And in that spirit of faith, we're going to pray. If you are currently experiencing something that you believe that if left only up to man, it's not likely to turn out well. As a matter of fact, it feels a little bit beyond you. Maybe even the word is hopeless. If you have something in your life right now that is weighing upon you like a ton of bricks, would you please stand? We're going to intercede for you and pray for you. Go ahead and stand right where you're at. Anybody else? Yep. It's a lot of us hurting today. Some of us are hurting in proxy for somebody else. Some of us for ourselves. Either is fine. All right? We got it? I'm going to have you remain standing. If you are not currently standing, that makes you an intercessor. I want you to pray for those standing around you. Just in your heart, start doing warfare for them. Start praying through that their situation would have breakthrough. You ready to go? Here we go. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place of faith, in this place where you have been lifted high and magnified, that, Lord, our problems begin to pale in comparison to your greatness. So right now, Lord, we stand saying, Lord, please touch my life. Please heal me. Please heal those I am standing for. Please be in there and do something that doctors cannot do. And so right now, in your authority that you've given us, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just begin to pronounce healing over the bodies that are broken. That right now, from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, healing be released into this place. Lord, allow our minds to be restored. Those of us that are dealing with mental health issues, Lord, heal our brains. Chemicals be righted in the name of Jesus. All lymph system, lymphatic system, limbic system, all of it, reset, reset, reset. All the chemicals that are off right now realign in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those of us that have had disease within our bodies, I speak in the name of Jesus. Disease be removed and healing take its place. 
that right now there would be nothing but life and health and wholeness within the people that are standing right now. Lord, for those of us that are worried about kids and grandkids, we pray, Jesus, even during this service, you know where they're at. You're right there present with them. Would you open their eyes? Would you change their mind? Would you allow them to be healthy and whole? Would you bring them back home in one piece? That God, I don't know what it's gonna take, but you know because you're a better parent than we are. So right now, Lord, I just pray that the scales would fall from their eyes, that Lord, they would be rescued from their addiction, that they would be removed from their terrible situation, even if they walked right into it willingly. God, bring our children home, please. Father, there's some of us that are standing because of an overwhelming issue of relationship, whether it was abuse whether it was something in our past, whether it's something in the present, whether or not it is a broken marriage or whether or not it is something about a friendship or it was a relationship, God, and we can't seem to move on. I just ask that you would scoop up all the pieces of our broken heart and just begin to put it together. Put it together. God, if you can shape Adam from the dust, you know how to take pieces and make them right. Would you breathe your life, your giving life upon our broken soul and allow us to live again? Some of us are trying to process grief and loss and every time we go home, there's a reminder. I pray that you would let us process our grief in a healthy way. I pray that you would let the weight to fall off our shoulders. God, for those that are so afraid today, those that are so depressed today, I pray freedom in the name of Jesus. So God, I don't know why we stood, but we stood because you told us we could stand. So I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, would you just flood through this room for everyone that can hear my voice and begin to touch our lives. Miracles break out, healing occur. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you may be seated. Lord, for those of us that did not stand, you see us too. We don't have to have a moment of desperation to know that you are mighty. We don't have to wait for everything to fall apart to acknowledge that you are good. Lord, your word says that you can increase our faith. We ask that you would increase it now. Lord, would you allow us to believe you like never before, to walk out of this place feeling excited and joyful and powerful that, that Lord, if you raise people from the dead, what can we do? That we could go out and begin to minister and whatever situation we're gonna come into, God, you can give us a plan. You have said to your children, there is nothing that we are going to face in this life that you will not either get us out of or walk with us through. And in that faith, we're going to walk out boldly. In that faith, we're going to say, though I have been low, my God is not done yet. And I will restore and walk once again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful